that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. He is Doug Lee Maurice. This is the Monday Madness edition. We're about um, 20 hours since Ohio State got done beating Rutgers 49 to 27 at home. We're about six days away from Ohio State going on the road to play Maryland. Uh, amazing day outside today. I hope, Doug, that you got to leave your basement, your smelly fart basement for a few hours and get outside and experience what is uh, – we're really wasting some incredible football weather on a time when we can't have fans at games. It's kind of it, – it's a little bit sad. I was, I was having a walk this afternoon and thinking about that, and it actually made me enjoy the walk less because I feel like there's, we're, we're not getting to enjoy this fall as much as we should. Like, it's too bad. I slept till one. So I don't know if that counts. I was up till five. I slept till one. So yeah. not particularly. Uh, I sat on my porch for 45 minutes like an old person writing a story. But that was all. I, I was going to sit outside and then I went back inside and started working. The next thing I knew, it was like five o'clock and it was starting to get dark. And I again, another another waste of a day. It, it's interesting to me that you went ahead and just slept till one, because I feel like anytime I stay up till five, I feel like I still have to get up early. And then I just end up being miserable the whole day. It's not my fault they scheduled the Rutgers game in the middle of the night. I'm sleeping till one. I know. <laughs> I'm with you. I was up at least that late last night, and uh, I'll pay for it today. But we'll be back at it this week here at Cleveland.com. Get the text if you're not already on 614-350-3315. We're texting during the game. We're texting after the game, though not too late after that game, because obviously it didn't get over till the middle of the night, basically. Uh, texting today with updates on, on what's going on and um, – we keep adding people every week, and it's exciting. We're glad that you joined. Um, crazy times in the Big Ten East. Let's just start there. Like, this is, you know, Penn State and Michigan both drop out of the AP poll this week. First, I didn't look back to see when the last time neither of them were ranked in the AP poll, but I imagine it's been quite some time. Ohio State stuck at number three. Notre Dame passed them up by beating Clemson, who used to be number one. Alabama's the new number one. Um, but the Big Ten East has just kind of gone off the rails. I don't know that anybody at this time of the year – um, or this coming into the season. I think there are people who thought Indiana might be all right. I think there are people who thought Maryland down the road, maybe a year or two, they're building towards something. But the best three teams in the East right now look like Ohio State, Indiana, and Maryland. I don't think anybody saw that coming six weeks ago. No, and I, I am still I, – I don't know if I'm ever going to – I think I'm going to be like in week nine of the Big Ten season and being like, I don't have a handle on this season yet. So I can't tell – what percentage of this is like Indiana and Maryland rising up and what percent is Michigan and Penn state falling down? I have some big tennis power rankings that'll be out at cleveland.com on Monday morning. And this is obvious. It's just math. When you play games, you have to have the same number of winners as you have losers, but in big 10 East games, the games only between two teams in the big 10 East Penn state, Michigan are zero and five and everybody else is eight and three. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And the stuff that we're talking about, Indiana had been 1-22 all time against Penn State. Indiana beat Penn State this year. Indiana was 1-39 in their last 40 against Michigan. They beat Michigan on Saturday. Like, what? Like, Indiana never wins these games. They won them both in the same year. Maryland does not do this to Penn State. And so you and I were just talking, part of it's quarterbacks. Because, honestly, what Talia Tongavailo is doing at Maryland to his younger brother, what Michael Penix is doing in Indiana, Penn State and Michigan would kill to have those guys as their quarterbacks right now. So that's part of it. And I have this in my headline right now. I said the Big Ten East is on fire and in flux. And I can't tell if this is a weird year. It's a pandemic. The things we have talked about a lot, you have little cracks in a program and the pandemic turns them into big cracks. There's some individual players making a big difference. Is this a one-time thing? And I would, ex- I would more expect that it is, or could it some, I don't know that it's a changing of the guard. It's not a changing of the guard. It's 10 years from now. It's not going to be that Penn state and Michigan are bad and Maryland and Indiana are, are awesome. That's not going to be what it is. But I also think it's possible that Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin won't be Michigan and Penn state's coaches next year, which is just wild to think about. We already had the Jim Harbaugh discussion. Like if this gets a little hinky for Penn state, there was kind of some USC stuff last year with James Franklin, Maybe if it's just a little weird, not that anybody's fired, but they both look at each other to a lesser degree than what Harbaugh and Michigan would look at each other and do, but just say like, is this right? Maybe James Franklin takes another good job and they just try something different. Meanwhile, the other thing is like Tom Allen's the guy at Indiana. 
Mike Loxley is doing some things in recruiting. I think he has them motivated. And the other two programs in this conference or in this division, whatever happens with happens with Rutgers and Michigan State this year, it's the start of something. So there's no reason to get too wound up. They already both have a win they didn't expect. And Greg Schiano and Mel Tucker are there to build things for the future. Michigan State got its doors blown off by 42 points against Iowa. And Mel Tucker in the postgame is talking about building blocks. And that's not that's not hot air because Mel Tucker is a good established coach who's trying to build something in a difficult spot. So it's no, it makes sense if Rutgers and Michigan State struggle this year. It makes sense that Ohio State is great. It's interesting that Maryland and Indiana are on the rise, but then what does it mean that Michigan and Penn State have started like this? I don't think it's – I think it's somewhere between a fluke and transformative. So it's somewhere between one and 100. But I don't know if it's a six or I don't know if it's a 91. You know, So I, we have to watch this play out. But I didn't – you and I did not see this Penn State thing against Maryland coming at all. That was yeah. not on my radar even 5%. Oh, I took Penn State uh, giving away 25 points in that game. Just having watched them those first two weeks, knowing that there was better performance within the fact that they lost those two games. They were playing at home. Maryland, we had already seen and give them credit for what they've done the last two weeks. But that first week, I mean, Northwestern is not exactly a high powered offense. Northwestern beat them 45 to three, just wiped them off the field. Look, looked like, oh, just typical Maryland. In fact, maybe even worse than typical Maryland because Northwestern is not supposed to beat anybody really 45 to three, even when they're good, right? That's not how they usually win games. All those things combined, that sure seemed like a, a, a potential, like real bounce back game for Penn, Penn State. They get to announce some authority. They get to say, "Hey, don't forget about us." And instead, they said, "No, nah, you can forget about us. We're done. We're, we're good." Just deflated, just like absolutely deflated. And again, it's not like the Ohio State game was one of those one point games that they've played where it's like, "Oh, it's such a close loss, a devastating loss." It was just kind of like a normal loss. It wasn't a huge blowout. It wasn't down to the final drive. It was just like a normal loss to a team that might win the national championship. So it didn't feel like that, that kind of loss for Penn state, that shouldn't be the thing that like pops their bubble. Like why? Oh, they couldn't recover from that. It's like, what are you talking about? That's the kind of game. That's a normal, you don't have to be depressed about that. Well, Ohio state's better than us. There's a shock. So you lose and you move on and you get healthy, you get healthy against Maryland. Like Minnesota's had some weird stuff happen this year. They kind of got healthy against Illinois. I, I, I just don't. And I know, again, all our Penn State guys, our friends of the program who cover it for Penn Live, Bob Flounders and Greg Pickle and David Jones, just following them on Twitter. It was like, this is the worst half of football we've seen in the Franklin era. This is the worst, the deadest performance they've ever seen. So I, I don't know what that means. You know, I, I don't know. So, so now we're to next week with Penn State. Now what? Now do they come back from that or are they dead again? And if they're dead a couple weeks in a row, then that was, that's what makes me think, okay, well, then maybe you just look each other in the eye and say, we're good. Thanks for everything, James. Thanks for everything, Penn State. Maybe we need a different look here. Yeah, obviously different circumstances than the Harbaugh situation. We've got a contract that's expiring and long-term expectations that have been underwhelming. Whereas at Penn State, it seems like it's all just kind of fallen into everybody's laps at once where, where people are looking around being like, wait a second. Now, and and, and to be fair, it did go off the rails a little bit before the season started. The people that they lost, um, I think those may have been both tangible and intangible impacts that they're still feeling a little bit. Um, the rest of this roster, um, that's my speculation, but it, it sure seems like it, just the way that it's it's gotten so bad so quickly. I am curious, though, Like you make a good point that like, okay, what's real and what's like kind of smoke and it's, it's almost like I think all of these teams, you could even say this about Rutgers, I think, going out and winning their first game and having a strong second half against Ohio State and, and getting some notoriety that way. I, I feel a lot of teams in the East, it's not just that Penn State and Michigan are regressing this season. It's that everybody else is kind of, even Michigan State, I think you could almost say this about, although they just got their doors blown off because obviously beating Michigan was a big deal for them. But like everybody else is sort of like grabbing onto something. Everybody else is like, it's some kind of building block that they're grabbing. Now it's just a matter of what do you do with that? Do you then do you actually build off of it? Do you make a step off of it? Or is it one of those games that you look back three years from now and say, oh, what, what the heck was that? Like that was such a fluke and, and, and they don't really get it done. They don't make that next step. I mean, what I, Michigan State and Rutgers, I think both would have been happy to not play this season. So this is gravy for all of them. They're just, they're trying to build some belief in their guys, and they already played each other. I don't know. They, neither of them may win a game the rest of the year, honestly. I mean, that's certainly on the table. 
But I don't think that would be like catastrophic for either of them because Shiana was still better for Rutgers than whatever they had before. And D'Antonio really bottomed out there on and off the field before Tucker took over. And again, Tucker is a good coach. And so this is all icing for Michigan State and Rutgers. And for Indiana, honestly, it's already the best season in Indiana football since the 60s. I mean, it already almost if they lost the rest of their games, what they've done all. And when we had Zach Osterman on, when we were previewing previewing Indiana before this season, and and again, they were kind of a dark horse that everybody was, was looking at. And then you thought maybe you were overrating them as a dark horse, but he was talking about Indiana setting up the opportunity to get a big win. Probably not Ohio State because Ohio State's next level. But could they get like a Michigan or a Penn State win? That would be such a big deal for that program. And they got both. And the first one was kind of fluky. And the second one was domination. So they've already, this is it. Like what, you know, this is whatever Indiana does against Ohio State, again, is not determinative. And then also, you know, I think they have a defensive identity now. And Michael Penix is going to be back next year. So they're setting something up, but Indiana is already on the path to a historic season for that program. I think in real quick, the, so we don't take up the whole episode with this, but um, you mentioned before just sort of the coaching turnover that's happened in this conference. And that seems to be so central to what we're seeing happen right now. Uh, Tom Allen might be a little bit the outlier from that. Not a guy who took a very like typical path to being a, a, a top 10 uh, head coach or a coach of a top 10 program. You look at his resume and it's, it's high schools, it's Wabash college, which is a division three down the road from where I lived in Lafayette for a long time, a bunch of smaller colleges. And then, and then worked his way to Indiana as a defensive coordinator it was just kind of right place at right time. And it, it's taken off a little bit for him. Um, but the other guy, I mean, you know, Greg Shiano coming back to Rutgers, uh, Mike Loxley and, and, and getting his shot finally at Maryland and bringing um, a little bit of maybe some sec, sophistication, certainly some SEC talent with him into that program. Um, Mel Tucker coming back into to Michigan State and, and what he could do there and with his background. It just seems like that's, you know, we've talked a long time about the, the, the East and why it hasn't maybe made that step. And I think now the coaching talent that's turning over into this program could make for a, an interesting next couple of years, depending on whether some of those guys can like get talent and keep it. Can we play a little game that I just came up sure. with? And I would like to expand it beyond the Big Ten East. It's for the whole Big Ten, and it's called Right Guy or Not. And we'll just run That's through every coach in the Big Ten, and we'll just say Right Guy or Not for that program. And you have to give a yes or a no, even if it's 51-49. you got to decide yes or no or not. So you and I can both do it. P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, Right Guy or Not? Yes. Yes. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, Right Guy or Not? Oh, come on. Yes. Yes. He yes. is Iowa. Because if, I mean, if all they want to be is Iowa, then yes. I mean, well, I, like he he's he's like, yeah, he's the Bobby Bowden of Iowa. They're great. But but you understand there's you're getting to a situation with him where it's getting maybe into the D'Antonio I disagree. vortex. He's their guy. Okay. Scott Frost at Nebraska, right guy or not? TBD. I'll still say yes. I mean, because what else are you going to do there? Wisconsin, Paul Christ, right guy or not? Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald, right guy or not? Yes, yes. Jeff Fromm, Purdue, Jeff Fromm. Jeff Brom, Purdue, right guy or not? Yes. Come, your hesitations are are befuddling me. Jeff Brom, no doubt about it, thousand percent. They could Jeff Brom is a- four games under five hundred coming into the season after three years. It's worth pausing. He's at Purdue though. Lovey Smith at Illinois, right guy or not? Mm, no. I probably say no there also. Uh, Ryan Day, right guy or not? Yes. Greg Schiano, right guy or not? Yes. Mel Tucker, right guy or not? Think so, yes. Tom Allen, right guy or not? Obviously. Indiana. Yes. Mike Loxley at Maryland, right guy or not? Probably looks like it, yes. Probably yes. If you had to go yes or no, I'd say you'd say yes, yes. right now. That if you might have to be, pick one or the other. Might not be a guaranteed yes, but I would I would say yes. James Franklin at Penn State, right guy or not? I'm still gonna say yes. I think it's very hard to make judgments about a guy's whole career based on just what's happening in 2020, I think. But long term. This is just a strange, strange year. I mean, long term, what they are and what they want to be and what they have historically been 
and what their upside is with him and what they could get if they don't have him. That's all the stuff that goes into this decision to me. Because again, the guy that you could get instead of James Franklin at Penn State is different than the guy that you could get instead of Kirk Ferentz or Iowa or instead of Scott Frost at Nebraska and or instead of Lovey Smith at Illinois. And all that factors in. It's the right guy for that program right now. And, and the idea of, okay, we either have this guy or we have an opening and who we think we could get if we had an opening. And I'm thinking about both next year and five years from now. And the options are the guy we have or everybody else we could get legitimately get for that opening. If I had to say yes or no on James Franklin right now, given where they are in recruiting and given the start of this year, I think I say no. I think I say no. And it's because the bar, I think you can get, I think you can get somebody good to take that job. Somebody recruiting really is problematic. The recruiting somebody, is really problematic. I think you can get somebody really good who starts winning, who starts winning Jersey kids, starts winning Pennsylvania kids, and starts keeping more Pennsylvania talent home than they are right now. So I'm going to say no. I'm not saying he's terrible and he should be fired tomorrow. I'm saying right guy, right guy, no. This 0-3 start, maybe at the start of the year I would have said yes. This 0-3 start is not an, it's not only a fluke. So I'll say no. Jim Harbaugh, yes or no? Right guy, yes or no? No, no. no. So at least for me, the only three no's in a 14-team conference are Penn State, Michigan, and Illinois. So that's, that's where we are to me. And, and you had some hesitation on Scott Frost at Nebraska, and I get that. But honestly, like that's the, the teams that should be the programs that should be the second and third best programs in this conference are two of the three or four most uncertain, problematic teams in terms of their current coach and what they are and what they could be and what they should be and what they have been. And I think that's that tells you something about where we are right now. I'm not sure about Mike Loxley. Get back to me in two years. You got to give Tucker and Shiano time. I think they wound up with guys they want there. But again, part of this is who else is out there? Because listen, we're all you know pushing Matt Campbell to Michigan. If Penn State wanted to get rid of James Franklin, they get Matt Campbell tomorrow. That's the thing. Now, I don't know. Could could some of these other programs, if, would Matt Campbell go to Illinois instead of Iowa State? Oh, get rid of Levy Smith to get Matt Campbell. Probably not. He'd go to Penn State for sure. It's a lateral. Right? Would Luke, would Luke Fickle go to, to Penn State? Yeah, I think he would. And I don't want to make it a Luke Fickle yeah. podcast. But like that's the kind of thing. When you're talking those big-tier programs, that's what you're talking about. There's an opportunity cost right now where you, at, at the very least, you're wondering about those two coaches and wondering if you could do better. And that is the state of the Big Ten East. And if you would have gone back a year when Ohio State had a first-year head coach who had never been a head coach at any level, and Michigan had Jim Harbaugh and Penn State had James Franklin, and you said, which of these three schools is the most uncertain with its head coach? And that was the opening that people wondered. Is that the opening for Ohio State? Can we get past Ohio State now? Urban's gone. And look where we are a year later. Very interesting. That, that We don't want to go overboard with Saturday results, but I don't want to go underboard either because I thought what happened Saturday in the Big Ten East mattered. I want to bring up another name real quick, and it's it's another uh, at Penn State, and it's it's not fickle, but it's somebody else who has Ohio State connections. And it's, the, it's a name that popped in my head. As soon as you start talking about like New Jersey kids, uh, Philly kids, I mean, I think that's an interesting fit down the line for Jeff Halfley, maybe. Who's I mean, already started having some good some good success at, at Boston College. I mean, it's quick, but like a little more dynamic recruiter, a little more energy, a little more innovation. You take that Ohio State way. I mean, listen, again, he'd done some college stuff, but he was in the NFL for a long time. He learned a lot in one year at Ohio State. How do you recruit? How do you build a strength and conditioning program? How do you build a culture? How do you reward players? How do you push players? How do you motivate players? How do you get your fan base involved? And you're, I think you feel that at BC. Yeah, I think people get a little excited because they led Clemson at halftime. But I think there's some stuff. There's some, there's some enthusiasm at Boston College that I think a guy like that would bring enthusiasm. And again, would you do it right now? I don't know if I do that right now. But yeah, that's part of the thing. Do you want James Franklin? Or do you think, would you think, well, maybe Jeff Halfley would be better? I don't know. But I think that's an interesting name to bring up. 
I think it'd be tough to say this year that Jeff Halfley would be a better head coach for that program than James Franklin is. I think in two or three years when Halfley's built something more or we know more about what he really is as a head coach, then maybe that is interesting. Yeah. And, and again, and, and we like to throw out names that we know. It's like, who's the name I don't, that we don't, it's not leaping to mind yeah. right now, but like, that's the point. Penn State's a really good job. Michigan's a really good job. So if your coach is kind of doing okay when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to winning big games, if you're just doing okay, yeah, yeah it at least enters your mind. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come, come back from the break in full Monday Madness mode. You're listening to the Buckeye Talk. All right, it's the Monday Madness categories. Boys and girls, you're all used to it by now if you've been following along this week. We start off with ballot boxing. This is where Doug tells me uh, how terrible my AP Top 25 ballot was. And I will say, last week I brought up that after a road game, it can be kind of t- – or after a night game, it can be kind of tough, and especially you're on the road, and it, it, can, be, it can be difficult to like, find the time to put your thing together. And I feel like my ballot this, year this week might have been even worse than last week. So, um, I, I, God, I wish, we could, I wish we could submit these on like Sunday night or Monday morning but it is what it is. And I was among the people who flipped and put Notre Dame to ahead of Ohio state. This is only like two weeks after selling on uh, Notre Dame as a potential playoff team. And now I have no choice. They, they clearly have, have announced themselves as a potential playoff team. So I had Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Ohio state three, Clemson four, and then almost draw it out of a hat for five. I don't, I don't have any dispute with your top four. I think you have to have Notre Dame ahead of Ohio State based on the quality of that win, even without Trevor Lawrence. It wasn't the quarterback play that doomed Clemson in that game. So that's that's and they did they missed some defensive guys, and I get it. And you have to try to, but you can only butt your way through the COVID era so much. It's like, listen, I don't I mean, right. people you gotta play. So at some point you're responsible for the team you put on the field, and that's a good win for Notre Dame. So I think you have to have Notre Dame too. I think Ohio State three makes sense. You said Pull, pull out of the hat after that. My, my, that's where I have questions for you because you have two teams that have barely played. Wisconsin at 1-0 and Oregon at 1-0. You have 5-6. and six. Then you have the grouping of the non-Power 5 teams, BYU 7, Cincinnati 8, and I get that. But you have Texas A&M at 5-1-9, Florida 4-1-10. Texas A&M beat Florida. Florida just beat Georgia. Texas A&M's only losses to Alabama – I think with how much they've played and what they've done on the field, I think Texas A&M and Florida should both be ranked ahead of Wisconsin and Oregon. And so it depends where you want to put the BYU and Cincinnati stuff because they both BYU is eight. No, they both have shown things on the field, but I think Wisconsin and Oregon at this point at one and oh, fifth and six, there are too many other teams that have done some things that I would have had. That's a pretty good win by Florida. Their defense is playing better and I'm going to get into them in a little bit. Their quarterback is excellent. They have a great offensive weapon. I think Florida is legit. And then, but you have to have them behind the team that beat them. So right. I, I think AM five and Florida six, and then start figuring out how you do Cincinnati, BYU, and Wisconsin and Oregon who have barely played. That's where I would have gone. I, I think I think AM and Florida five and six would make sense. Yeah, I, it, it, the, all those teams were in the mix of, of people that I was considering. Um, and this has just been that year of years where it's not going to be like any other year, hopefully. And you're, you're just so caught between speculating how good this team really is when it's barely played or hasn't played and then looking at the results that this team has actually played. So I, I, Texas A&M has the three-point win at home against Florida. They got crushed by Alabama at Alabama. And then the rest of their wins, like they just dumped South Carolina, but South Carolina is not good. Arkansas is not great. Um, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. I mean, they've in Vanderbilt, they only beat 17 to 12. Vanderbilt's not good. Like there's there's some underlying things in Texas A&M's performance that gives me question. So I, that's why I was hesitating putting them too high, but you do have to put them ahead of Florida. And I was impressed with the Florida win. Um, I was also impressed with BYU going on the road and beating Boise State as uh, thoroughly as they did. Cincinnati is kind of doing the thing that I said that they had to do, which was um, win convincingly in all of these games that they're playing. And they're, they're also ran conference. So there were like six or seven teams that I thought you could put anywhere between five and 12 or whatever, all the way down through Indiana, Miami, whoever. And I almost found I could find more reasons not to rank them five than I could to rank them five. But I think at some some point, and it's not a punishment for Wisconsin and Oregon. It's just reality. I mean, you're one to know, right? 
I mean, right. what Florida and A&M have put on the field, what BYU has put on the field, I just think those 1-0 and teams are too high. And they'll get their chance. If, if Wisconsin yeah. shakes this COVID thing, they'll get their chance. And, and when they're 4-0, that's fine. But again, in a world where, all right, you might have questions about Florida, but they've done this, they've done this, they've done this, and Oregon and Wisconsin have practically done nothing. I would, I would not punish Wisconsin and Oregon, but I would just say like, you're just on hold. You'll get your chance, but I can't have you at five and six right now. It's yeah. It's it's not a it's not punishment. I think you're right. I think actually, and those are the two. That's the one area of the ballot that I think if I had had an extra hour or two, would probably not even that long. Might have been different, but that'll be I something I'd probably at, revisit at, the week ahead. At some point, I would like to make a strong push with Ralph Russo, and it's done been done before. The idea that. College football drops its ballot release in the middle of an NFL Sunday is silly to me. I think they would get much more run at 8 a.m. on a Monday and you tell everybody your ballots due at 8 p.m. on Sunday night and you give people time to evaluate it and you get more out of the news cycle on Monday morning. The idea of like, hey, the whole world is waiting for the release of polls on an NFL Sunday. Sunday is for the NFL. Take a freaking break. Play the games on Saturday. Think about it on Sunday. Release the poll on Monday. I think it is antiquated thinking because before, listen, back in the old days when they released the ballot or got the news out on Sunday, it was for the Monday paper. You're putting it out on Sunday so like the paper can get ready, but you weren't really getting it out to the world on Sunday. You were giving it to people so they could get it out to the world on Monday. Now it gets to the world in one minute. So why are we doing this? I think it makes for worse ballots. I think it makes for less coverage and it's completely antiquated and nonsensical. And I thought it every week that I voted for however long I voted it, the poll is 80% worse than it could be because you are forcing people to vote in the middle of the night or wake up and vote or barely take anything in before you vote. And I'm calling Ralph as soon as we get off here. It's a joke. And it's I, I honestly, I think if it came out at 8 p.m., if it came out at 8 p.m. on Sunday night, not even if that was a deadline, if we had until six to vote and it came out at eight instead of having till 11 a.m. to vote and it came out at two. Um, but I, it doesn't make any sense to me that it comes out at two o'clock on a Sunday when everybody's watching NFL games, um, even if it had to come out on Sunday to be out for Monday morning, even if you're still kind of um, deferring to your your newspapers um, that actually still print newspapers, then it doesn't need to be out at two on Sunday. It can come out on Sunday night and still be in the paper the next morning. 100%. That's how deadlines work. That's how AM newspaper deadlines work. So, yeah. So that was my only issue with your ballot. Fair enough. Margin call. This is where we are buying and selling either a player, a team, a concept in college football based on what we saw in the past week. I am both buying and selling this week. I am, I am selling right now. By the way, last week terrible error. I sold on IU thinking that I was, I was selling them at the high point of their value. False. I left money on the table. They would be much more valuable this week and they're going to be much more valuable in two weeks. I think they're going to go up to Michigan state and win. And then you're looking at a top 10 team coming into Ohio state. I mean, that's, I don't know who's um, I have to check. I, I don't know who will have the first broadcast shot at that game, but are we looking at a potential college game day for Indiana at Ohio state? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it could even be on Fox. They could still do game day. I guess they probably not. But yeah, they'll have the Fox. The crew, I bet, will be here. Whoever's whatever network it's on. If Urban and the Urban and the guys, if they don't have COVID, they'll be here if it's on Fox. And if it's on ABC or ESPN, I think game day might be here. I was looking at the other games. I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, which could be in a top 20 matchup, would maybe be the only other one that like looked like it had a lot of juice. So I think that could be a, a big weekend matchup. So anyway, I am selling. I'm selling BYU and Cincinnati as group of five playoff contenders for all the people out there who still want to buy into that. However, I'm also buying, I'm buying that they institute an expanded playoff as early as next year. I think I disagree with both of those, even though I am also doing the same thing. So you really, you are not, when you do this, you are not, buying or selling what you think right now you are buying or selling what you think is going to happen that you are I think it's both it's both but you looked it's not that you thought indiana was terrible you just thought like they're good but they're at their peak and you think byu and cincinnati are at the peak of their discussion that's what you're saying you think you think the because you're selling the idea of byu and cincinnati as playoff teams right as playoff contenders is that your point 
That yeah, because I don't think because I don't think I think what happened with the Notre Dame Clemson game, unless something really weird happens from here on in, I think as we've talked about before, I think that sews up who the top four play the four playoff okay. teams. So I think because and that's the that's the discussion for the end when we say who are our four, right? And and I think we need to get into that. I'm buying Zach Wilson at BYU, that quarterback that is I'm late on. He's played eight games. I'm late on it. And everybody right now, he's six, three. He was a recruit, like number 1000 in the country. When he came out a couple of years ago, he's from Utah. He went to BYU. He wears a headband, but he's not little. He's six, three. Sometimes he's under the radar. Recruits are almost like, well, he has a good arm, but he's short. It's like, I don't, I don't know what his deal was. Cause why in God's name would I know anything about the recruitment of a BYU quarterback? But all the draft analyst people out there are saying he's Trey Lance from North Dakota State only got to play one game this year. Everybody fell in love with him. I get it. Go love the North Dakota State guy. It's fine. I'm not going to worry about that. But that Zach Wilson has emerged as a legitimate. I think it seems like Zach Wilson's going to be a first round pick. That it's Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And then of guys who are playing right now, the next best quarterback. And Kyle Trask is having a great year at Florida. I get it. But that Wilson's got it. Wilson can sling it. And that's when you get my attention a little bit. And I think Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati is getting a little bit of attention right now, a quarterback for them. That's the guy who's the quarterback for Cincinnati, right? You're the voter. Is that his name, right? That's yeah. a Cincinnati yeah, quarterback. Yeah. yeah. But not to the Zach Wilson level. So what Zach Wilson has done and where BYU is, I'm, I don't know that. I mean, again, are they going to make the playoff? But I think they are more legitimately in a discussion to me than Cincinnati is because of the way they're doing it, because they have the guy they have leading it. They're eight and O right now. They're playing like this kind of weird, their schedule got wiped out by COVID because they're independent got wiped. They're independent, right? They're not in the mountain West anymore. They got wiped out. They're independent. Yep. And so they're playing all these weird games, but they tried to find the best games they could. And I think it's real. Like my, my skepticism of about like, listen, man, I don't, I don't know these non-power five teams. I mean, I'm really, you're better than Florida. Come on. Like you're better than all these teams that go through the meat grinder every week. BYU has lessened. I think that less about BYU than I still do about Cincinnati. And then I did think about BYU four weeks ago. So BYU with that Boise state and particularly because of Zach Wilson and Zach Wilson in particular, you know, I mean like Kirby smart would, cut off his thumb for Zach Wilson right now. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that's like, hey, you know, Florida has a great quarterback and Ian Book played well for Notre Dame. Most of the really, the truly best teams have great quarterbacks, but Zach Wilson would play for top 10 teams for sure. He'd be their starting quarterback. So I'm in. And and the idea that like, I guess if you're saying you're selling BYU because you think the playoff kind of got locked up, I guess I get it. But I think BYU overall, in terms of your view of BYU, because of Zach Wilson, they are more legitimate to me today than they ever have been. And I'm, I'm happy to buy them right now. Well, I'm selling, again, I'm not selling as far as how good I think they are. I've ranked them pretty high. I ranked Cincinnati pretty high too. But I'm, I'm just selling the fact that any concept that these teams can get into the playoff this year, as we've talked about before, um, that I just don't feel like that that, that avenue is going to be open for them at all. I think it, obviously if things play out the way they are right now and you get three undefeated teams and a one loss Clemson, and that's going to obviously depend on what happens in the ACC championship game, which is yet to be decided. But if you get that scenario, they're not leaving Clemson at home to put in undefeated BYU or undefeated Cincinnati. It's just, it's just not happening. But heck, and if but, Clemson, but, and if those, ahead. if Clemson and Notre Dame play for the ACC championship and Clemson wins, you're, they're not you're leaving get, either you're of those ahead of our, we, We're going to have nothing to talk about for our playoff thing. Well, I'm just telling you. So I, I was just explaining to you why I was, well, I know, why I'm, I'm selling on the concept of the group of five teams. Save it for the thing that's actually <laughs> about fine. the playoff at the end. You just gave the Well, whole you're thing. asking me why I'm selling them. I'm telling you why I'm selling. I was just clarifying what, I, what it was I was selling. But what the other half of what I was saying, though, was I think there's going to be, I think this is the year more than ever teams that we're going to get to the end of that. And there's going to be people who see two undefeated teams that played really well and can't get into this conversation. I think there's going to be more clamoring than ever to get that started. Who people, the public, why would you clamor? Why would anybody clamor more for BYU or Cincinnati getting left out than one loss, big 10 champion, Ohio state getting left out as has already happened. Why is this the clamor? In the middle of a pick. No, they did. People did complain about that. And it didn't change anything. We still have a 14 playoff, but like this is what's going to put it over the edge. I think because as we've talked about with a lot of these things, it's, it's a, it's a matter of things building over time. 
But I, it's, I would, just, it's never just like one incident that causes these things. It's always like, here was the Big Ten example, and here was this next example, and here's like the group of five examples, which we've already had that in the past with and nobody uh, TCU. And I'm just saying that I think it's, I think we're, I think momentum is building there. But I also, I, was, I also don't think it's necessarily all about public opinion. I think at some point financially, they're going to look at this and see that it's an advantageous thing. Well, of course, but that has nothing to do with Cincinnati and BYU being good in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, UCF did it. Nobody cared. Actually, UCF had a fake parade or whatever. They put crowns on their helmets and walked around Disney World and said, we're the champs. Uh, Congratulations on your we're the champs parade. The parades in Disney World are fantastic. Love them. But not the UCF parade. I didn't care about your we're the champs parade because you were a a champ in your own mind. That was not an issue. That was they played 12 games. They got all the way through. I mean, that's the, the, the issue is like the big 10, the big 10 champ. And not some some half half halfway Big Ten champ, the best program in the conference, the program that recruits like a top five program every year, got shut out as the champ multiple recent years. So, like, yes, money, money might get us to eight, but I just would push back on the idea of like, oh my BYU, it's not fair to be what. And I'm buying BYU. Ohio State, Ohio State. Right, I see what you're saying. Sunday sat there. We're like, listen, man, we're the freaking, we're the champ of the Big Ten. All right, we lost once, but we have some good wins. Look at our talent. Nope, sorry, I didn't make it. That, to me, that's how you get a push. So I don't know. Well, I think there should have been. I mean, again, I'm obviously, I'm biased here because I'm obviously the opinion that there should be a bigger playoff than there is now as it is. But I think once I think you get to the end of this season, the way it's playing out, and you have two of those teams, not just one, but two of those teams from the group of five, I think it's going to there's going to be more pressure than ever. And I think there's going to be more movement than ever to move on to an expanded playoff. You think the public you think it's public pressure about out an outrage that BYU didn't make the playoff. That's going to that's going to I think public pressure is part of it. But I think I also think there's an economic component. But okay, so money is money. I don't have I still do not understand the idea that if BYU and Cincinnati go undefeated in the middle of a pandemic when the Big Ten didn't start until late October, the Pac-12 started in November, nobody played non-conference games. People Trevor Lawrence can't play because of a of a of coronavirus. Graham Mertz can't play because of coronavirus. And like weaving between all this carnage and wreckage of a season. BYU and Cincinnati are jumping over the landmines and you get to the other side and it's like, we have to change the playoff because we had six playoff contenders get blown up by coronavirus landmines. And these guys who played nobody made it through and they demand to be in now. I just, that is not a compelling argument to me. Money. Yes. Compelling argument. It should be bigger. You have five conferences and only four spots. Compelling argument. BYU and Cincinnati, compelling argument. I don't, I don't buy it. We'll see. I'm not not sure the world buys it. You might be right. I think there was, there was, there was, you know, it it was a topic of conversation coming into this season whether this would be the year, you know, maybe because of the the pandemic and everything else, and just how messed up everything was going to be. But this could be the year where they looked at that, and it obviously didn't come to fruition. Um, But I just, if it's out there, I think there's movement for it, and um, I think if both those teams go undefeated, I think it helps the case for explaining, for being able to sell why it's time to move to something like that. Okay, so let me ask this final question. How much of a difference does it make for the case of an expanded playoff? What's the percent difference if BYU and Cincinnati go undefeated or if BYU and Cincinnati both lose? Say they don't finish undefeated and nobody by the end of the year is talking about them as a playoff team. It's totally wrapped up in that. It's 100% wrapped up in that. A legitimate discussion of playoff expansion you think that the chance no 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 i mean for i'm the the difference between the discussion the discussion is always going on no i'm saying like how much would it actually affect the discussion around playoff expansion right in general that if right now if playoff so the discussion around playoff expansion let's say is a seven out of ten that lots of people do talk about it for all the reasons we've laid out what is that discussion at the end of the year in a world where BYU and Cincinnati are undefeated and in a world where they're not undefeated? If they're undefeated, is it a nine instead of a seven? 
If they're not yeah, undefeated. Yeah, I would say it's like a nine. And if it's if it, if they're not undefeated, then it's like a six. It, it regresses probably. Oh, my God. I could not disagree with that more. That it's a three-point swing based on whether BYU beats Utah State in two weeks or not. I am not there at all. It's not about BYU. It's not. It's about Ohio State. And I've written that a million times. Nobody's written that more than me. The playoff is all about Ohio State because they are the one national team in a national power conference that is not viewed on the same level as a couple other conferences. And the result is nobody has been on the outside, barely looking in more than Ohio state. And any discussion about, do we need to expand to me is about how are we leaving Ohio state out of the playoff or how are we leaving a great second sec team out of the playoff? Or if Oregon runs the table in a short season this year and is like, man, Oregon is really good, but we can't put them in. There's only four. That to me, man, it is not about it is not about these dudes whose resume is filled with wins over Memphis and Utah State. I just do not think that's where it's at. And I guarantee there are people listening to this who agree with you for sure, who do agree with you for sure. I just will be I will be very curious for the day when one of those teams makes a playoff, whether it's a four team or an eight team and what happens. Cause I don't think it's going to be pretty. Well, understand I'm not the one and I'm not the one who's saying that they should be in a four team playoff situation. And I think if, if let's say, let's say Notre Dame, and, well, we'll talk about that later. We'll get back into the playoff discussion at the end of this. We're going to take another break. We'll be back on Monday madness edition of Buckeye talk. All right, let's get into some Ohio State topics. This is story of the week. This is kind of what we see unfolding in the six days ahead going into Ohio State's game at Maryland on Saturday. I will be there in College Park all by myself. It's going to be a little bit sad not having the crew together. We'll be there virtually on Zoom after the game for your postgame pod as always. Doug, what is your story of the week? I think it's this Ohio State secondary getting ready for a guy who can throw it in, uh, in what Talia Tongavailoa has done for Maryland so far this year. And, uh, and he's been, he's been really good the last two weeks. And so this is, this is what, you know, we got all this from our, our tech subscribers of, of like, how should you actually be like scared? Should Ohio state fans be scared of this? And, and no, I scared is not the word to me. Um, but I think you're, we're so accustomed in watching Ohio state and watching them play not very competent big 10 quarterbacks. And again, I've read, said this and written this many times over the years. They're the guys who look good against everybody except Ohio state, which is why like I had a hard time evaluating guys like Kirk cousins and stuff sometimes. Cause it was like, all right, well that just didn't, that didn't do anything for me when they played the Buckeyes. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what, what Tonga Vilo and Penix when they play Maryland and Indiana, I don't know where they're going to fall on that, but this guy has, really been quite good the last couple of weeks. He threw for 94 yards in the first game against Northwestern. He threw, he was 15 to 24 for 94 yards, no touchdowns, three picks. They lose 43 to three. And then the last two weeks he threw for 394, three touchdowns and one pick in the comeback win over Minnesota. And then he threw for 282, three touchdowns and no picks against Penn state. So I think people have questions about this Ohio State secondary, and they'd have questions about them no matter what quarterback they were playing this week. But they're at least going to face a quarterback who I think can test them a little bit, I think, unless it turns out to be another Curtis Painter situation. It's like, oh, okay, he's just one of those Big Ten quarterbacks who's good against everybody else. But I don't think it's going to be that. I think he's going to have a little something for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and it should be said that that first game of the season, that might have been the best defense that they've played so far, the best defense they've faced so far in Northwestern on the road. And he had, an obviously, a weird offseason, too. They didn't know at what point he was actually going to be eligible to play this season. And 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 so I, I think some of those things might have been a factor as to why that first game was a little bit off. Um, along the same lines, my and, and this is one of those cliche terms, and I don't want to use it, so I'm trying to figure out, how else to say this? Um, we talk a lot about like identity, a team that needs like an identity. And I, I don't, I, I need, I think the story this week is like, who is going to like sort of announce themselves again for Ohio State's defense. I felt like they did that a little bit at Penn State. And you, you got, you came out of that game thinking this team kind of like this defense really, especially the defensive front really like announced itself with authority. I think that they need someone else. They need another game like that. And I think it needs, like you're saying, I think it needs to come from the back end. I think someone on the back end has to kind of step up, whether that's Sean Wade 
kind of taking his play up to another level, whether that's uh, Marcus uh, Hooker playing in such a way that it instills some confidence in the rest of the, that defense, whether it's Josh Proctor saying, hey, don't forget about me. I can, I can do this. Maybe I'm the guy. I think somebody else at the back end of that defense needs to step up and have a little bit more of a presence than we've seen through these first three games. Yeah, I mean, playmakers, I think, is a thing for this defense. And we've talked about that. That You know, Sean Wade certainly has a resume as a playmaker. Tommy Togiai has been a playmaker this year. Haskell Garrett's been a playmaker. I think Baron Browning's played pretty well, actually. I I just, there was the one play where I think it was a read and the running back had it and the the cameraman was confused a little bit. But Baron Browning just like lasered in on a dude and dragged him down for a four-yard loss. And it was like... That's a dude getting after it. So, yeah, I mean, I think if, if it's in the secondary, that would help. But I do think um, – I think we've talked about Tough Borland. We've talked about Pete Warner. I just – Baron Browning is making some plays out there. But, yes, the continued rise of a guy who makes a difference on the defense is absolutely something to be on alert for. Walk the line is where we discuss uh, OSU's betting line, where there seems higher low to us. We were 1,000% wrong last week. Um, or we were in good position. It's 35-3 to three at halftime. It's – 42 to nine going into the fourth quarter. And then uh, Ohio state does not cover the 38 point spread that they had a kickoff. Um, this one opened at Maryland on Saturday. This one opened at 27, almost immediately dropped down to 26. So again, we were way off again because we guessed this on the post game pod and you and I were talking about like what, 18, 19, 20, and it ends up being a full touchdown higher than that. Um, I just checked it again. It's still at 26. But the more I think about it, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that we were probably – we I think we shot it too low. I think this this point spread makes sense. I think it's because people – I think the the betters, the, the lines makers probably looked at the first half of these games. Again, where Ohio State's up 21-3 to at Penn State and has like a fluky end with the clock that, that gives them another field goal. And the way that second half played out was more about controlling the game than, than you know, throwing it around um, as we talked about. And then they're up 35 to three and 42 to nine and things got weird. That was just a weird second half. Not that Ohio state didn't play poorly in a couple of ways on both sides of the ball, but it was just a weird second half. So I, I think 26 points as it stands right now, I think that makes a lot of sense compared to, you know, relative to where these programs are right now, because especially because I don't know, we can talk about this quarterback and Akeem Jarrett and these guys as much as we want. I don't know who Maryland has that can defend Ohio state right now. If anybody. I mean, nobody has anybody who can defend their passing game. So our our official Buckeye Talk uh, bookmaker, Tyler Shoemaker, last night sent this to us. I just listened to the postgame pod. I'm calling this now before the first line drops. Ohio State will be favored by 30 or more. He says last week it would have been 37. So he shot a little high on that. As you said, it came in at what, 27 and then dropped to 26. Um, And then this hurt my feelings. I'm I'm assuming I already responded to Tyler and – and this was just a tweet he sent out into the world. He said, I love sports coverage. I love betting coverage. I hate sports writers covering betting because they have no freaking clue what they're talking about. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. And so uh, Tyler hurt my feelings and um, I'm assuming it's directed at, at me. And also my feelings get hurt the most when things are true, because if a thing is not true, you just brush it off. This right. is why, again, when I get in fights with people, I try to say things that I know are their deepest, darkest fears that they know to be true in their heart that they never express to themselves. So when Tyler Shoemaker says like sports writers have no idea what they're saying about betting coverage, it's like, I mean, I have no pushback on that. I have no argument on that, but I'm also not going to do this. I do enjoy the Bill Simmons podcast every Sunday night when he and his uh, friend guests NFL lines and Bill Simmons is always like this. He's like, ah, I think Eagles by six. And then his friend says, actually, it's Eagles by eight. He's like, ah, that's too high. And like, if every time you give a betting line thing is like, here's what I think. And then it's like, no, you're wrong. And then your answer is no, the line is wrong. I'm right. No, the line is wrong. Ah, that's too high. Every single time. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, oh, the bookmakers. How did I said 19, the bookmakers. I don't know. So I, I have a feeling we're getting in this weird zone, Nathan. And again, we pick it because we cover this team and we should have it. I sometimes feel like you have a, I have a really good feel for Ohio state and like kind of what's happening and the ebbs and flows of a season. And this is a game to give the points. This is a game to take the points with Ohio state. I feel like I'm not going to have a feel for this one. And I'm just telling you right now, I don't, I, they're not going to lose, but if you tell me that you're going to go in, they're going to go in there and it's going to be 42 to 34, 
I guess I would buy that. And if you tell me they're going to go in there and win 55 to 12, I think I would buy that too. I just, I don't know because I really, I got to watch some more Maryland. I don't have a sense of how good they are beyond the quarterback. They still, you know, sometimes it's like you have a few good pieces. Sometimes a couple good pieces is enough. Anthony McFarland practically beat, beat Ohio State by himself the last time Ohio State was in that, it was in Bird Stadium. Sometimes that's enough. And sometimes it's like, oh, you had one good player, but none of your other 21 starters could at all run with Ohio State. And I don't care if your quarterback was good. Sometimes that happens too. And I just have no sense right now as we record this at seven o'clock on Sunday night, which way this one's going to go. Yeah. And by 20, when I say I thought 26 made sense, it's more based on, again, just who those teams are. I don't know that I'm taking that line either. We'll, we'll make our picks later this week. Um, but I also don't know how I really feel about that line as far as favoring, you know, picking one side of it or the other. I think it's, but it's just a bizarre year and it's, it's especially been a bizarre couple of weeks in the big 10 East. And it's really just hard to get a, a grasp on exactly what's going on with these teams. Okay. So Tyler Shoemaker has already responded after I said that his tweet hurt me. He said, ha ha, not you, Doug, you outsource that burden to me, but every sports show I watch or listen to has their betting segment and they just have no idea what they're actually talking about. Or as you'd say, Dumb sports writers. So uh, Tyler um, was not subtweeting us. He was subtweeting the rest of the world because we're smart enough on our Friday picks preview show to usually have Tyler on. So that's why, again, if I was good at picking lines and making bets, I would not be a sports writer. But I think I honestly, though, I think that the idea of lines, because it's I mean, especially now that it's becoming you know nationwide, you don't have to you know get on a plane to go somewhere to put a bet down anymore. Um, I guess you do if you, you have to go somewhere else if you live in Ohio, unfortunately, but you can just go right across the border. Um, I, it, it's something maybe we should have him on for a segment just to talk a little bit about how those lines do come about, what it means. Because, like, you know, I think everyone would probably appreciate when you have a little bit more insight into how they actually come up with those numbers. I think you can probably enjoy the process a little bit more. At least I, I, I feel like you can. I think people mostly enjoy the process when they win. And the rest of the time they're Very like, true. that line screwed me, which I've yelled at, at times. Yeah, dude, it's like it's like the baseball players. Like, do you want to know? Do you want to know the signs that we're stealing from the other team, or do you just want to react? It's like, do you want to actually know how they come up with these lines, or do you just want to pick them and be happy when you win and happy you lose? Because if you if you know if you think you know how it's supposed to be, how they come up with the number going into it, and you don't get it right, do you feel like you're dumber rather than just like you just had bad luck? Yeah, I just want money, but which is why agreed. I, yeah, I don't do it because I know I'm terrible at it. This is fear factor. Just basically how much should Ohio state fans fear this next game? And that doesn't have to be a loss. It can be, you don't be not liking how Ohio state looks, not liking how some aspect of the team is progressing at that point of the season. We talked after the post game pod, you know, what fear out of you know, what scale of one to 10, what are the chances Maryland could win this game? I think we topped out at like one or two on our scale of one to a hundred for fear factor. I'm putting like 34% fear as like it's not so much that I think Maryland really can win this game but again some of the other things we're talking about with the things that you saw in the second half that concerned you on defense if you're an Ohio State fan if you don't see those get corrected in this next week if you don't see some players step up and start to play better individually if you don't see a better maybe team concept of some things on defense now that starts to snowball a little bit when you see it back-to-back weeks against what are supposed to be two of the worst teams in the conference or were supposed to be before the season yeah I mean I think the issue is is I probably say yeah almost like 42% that I do think Ohio state fans will have a little knot in their stomachs this week, because I think it's twofold. One is, is it somehow possible that this quarterback in this situation, in this season, in this pandemic against this secondary, is it somehow possible that there are some things in place here? And I don't know if our texters will take us down the road of the Purdue and Iowa losses or not, but as we deal with Maryland and Indiana coming up for Ohio State, I wouldn't be surprised if they take us to those places. But I think the second thing is, is not would that quarterback beat you, but would that quarterback this Saturday be able to do things against this pass rush and against the secondary, which I do think people have questions about, that would lead you to say, okay, well, that was good enough against Maryland, but man, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones. I think it's going to be good to find out, though. I think this is going to be a very good week for Ohio State to figure some stuff out because if this was blah, Maryland, that everybody had anticipated before the season, you you would never get your weaknesses tested at all 
but they've got a little something on offense. So listen, and we can't do this. I'm just warning you listeners right now. If they shut down the Maryland offense, you have to appreciate it. And, and you can't say, well, what about Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones? Because listen, this, this offense is doing some things for Maryland. So of course, it's nowhere near Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. But this is a good appetizer. This is a pretty good appetizer for this defense. This isn't just a side salad, not even a cup of soup. This might be a sampler platter where you get, you don't even have to pick one appetizer. You get to pick three and you get like two thirds of each. Is that, I mean, honestly, Nate, it all comes back to chilies. The sampler platter. How often in life? I mean, do you think somebody, the, the light bulb that went on in somebody's head when somebody was like, but there's two or three appetizers I would like in this menu. And somebody said, what if you could get all of them? I think this is going to be good for Ohio State. So as I say all the time on this podcast to my children, nervous is good. Nervous means you're doing something that you care about that's important to you. You're putting yourself on the line and you're not sure how it's going to go. I think this is going to be a good week for Ohio State and Ohio State fans to be nervous. And then Saturday when this game ends at 730 at night, I think you'll have a a much better sense. Here we'll be at the basically the halfway point kind of four games in. I think you will be able to wrap your hands around this defense a little bit after Saturday. But in the meantime, I think you might be a little nervous. So I'll say 40% on the fear factor. You know, this goes back to the discussion we were having earlier and a discussion we've had on this podcast before about how good did you want the rest of the Big Ten East to be? How good do you want Maryland and Rutgers and Indiana and Michigan State to be specifically, right? Do you want them to ever jump up and like really contend for a championship if you're Ohio State? I don't know that you do. I think you want them to do kind of what they're doing right now, which is just to start to earn some respect from the college football world in general. Maybe not quite so much quite there yet with Rutgers, but if you know Maryland going into Penn State does that, because now if you beat Maryland, people actually give you some credit for it. In the past, it's almost like, okay, you beat Maryland and you beat um, Miami of Ohio, and it's the same thing. It's hard because then, but now, because we've had texters who are worried about now the Penn State win for Ohio State doesn't mean anything because Penn State's 0-3. So I don't know how, I don't know what the exact perfect walking of the line is between your bottom tier teams jump up and are more respected without them completely obliterating the existing respect of the top tier teams. Because all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's going to mean more to beat Maryland and Indiana but it's going to mean less to beat Michigan and Penn state. So I guess the answer is like if Maryland and Indiana were losing in overtime to Penn state and Michigan, and they all looked competent and whatever, but it's just like, you can see things. It's like, Oh, look, okay. Well, Michigan can't defend anybody. And like, Oh, look, Ohio, Penn state has no passing game. And just like, okay, well that's why they lost. So I know what you're saying, but it's always a dance and people always joke about it. You know, is it is it more that the good team is screwing up or the or the bad team is rising up? And uh, I don't know the answer. Closing up here with who's your four. I think this is the easiest who's your four that we've had in the long illustrious history of the Monday Madness Buckeye Talk podcast. Alabama number one. Go ahead. No, You're saying so, something. So I want you to restate your case because it's not just about the four right now, but what it means going forward. So it's your right. your thing. Yeah, we pick our four, the four teams that we think will be the college football playoff teams. It's, so it's not just what order, what, what they would be tonight. It's what will it be at the end of the season, which I guess we, we haven't really held ourselves to like as far as the seeding on that, but just who will the four teams be? And for the past few weeks we've been doing this, it's all been about we know who the top three teams are. We thought we did. And then who's going to grab that fourth spot. So my four are Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State and Clemson. And as we've talked about before, if, if Notre, we said it last week, if Notre Dame wins this game, does that lock in those four teams? And I think it might, because I think now it's either going to be an ACC championship game where Notre Dame and Clemson have a rematch. I suppose if Notre Dame were then beat them again and Clemson has two losses, would the committee keep out Clemson at that point? Perhaps, depending on who else the other options are. Uh, but especially if Clemson were to avenge that loss and beat them, and now they both have one loss, I think those are both in. And I think especially if Ohio State and Alabama, obviously if they go undefeated, they're both in. So we may have really narrowed the, the field a lot on the college football playoff already. I don't know if anybody else has an avenue in. The only other way a team has an avenue in, I think, is somebody beating Alabama or Ohio State. And I think even then it could be dicey because you're going to take a one-loss Texas A&M over a one-loss Ohio State if they were to lose to Indiana. And then I suppose Indiana's in the mix. But, no, I, I think that we – it's a lot of the drama is being quickly drug out of this 
conversation. I'm going to assume that Ohio State and Bama are going to go undefeated until I have any reason to think otherwise. And I do not have right. any reason to think otherwise at this point. So if I'm saying who my four are going to be, not right now, but who I think, what I think the top four teams will be at the end of the year, I'm also going to assume that Clemson, who again, I think was missing three defensive starters against Notre Dame in addition to Trevor Lawrence, if Clemson doesn't drill Notre Dame in the ACC championship game, assuming that Lawrence is back and Clemson is otherwise basically fully healthy, I will be flabbergasted. I mean, Dabo finally has something real to motivate his guys with other than like fake, nobody respects us stuff. So he is going to hammer that Trevor Lawrence is, I mean, this has to be killing Trevor Lawrence that he has the COVID diagnosis. They go on the road. It's this great chance to play at Notre Dame and, and look, and by the way, again, they didn't lose because of the quarterback play, but also I'm not sure Trevor Lawrence loves the idea of like, Oh, look, everybody loves the freshman. Everybody's saying like, oh, yeah, when I'm gone and he's in here, we'll be fine. I'm not sure he loves that. I just I, – I am practically I, – I would bet money on this in this order right now. Alabama's going to be one undefeated. Ohio State's going to be two undefeated. Clemson's going to be three with the win over Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's going to be four, having lost to Clemson. And I do not know what could shake that. Now, someone said the other day about, you know, that Florida looked pretty good. In their win over Georgia, they have the one loss. It, we are on track now for a Florida-Alabama SEC championship game. They do not play in the regular season. What if Florida beats Alabama? You know, if Alabama's number one going into the SEC championship game and loses to Florida, then I think Florida jumps up, but then I think Alabama takes Notre Dame's spot. That Alabama then is the four. Notre Dame, with a, having lost the ACC championship, congratulations for beating Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, but we're not keeping Bama out. So I don't think Notre Dame is locked there, but I think that's the only scenario that knocks out Notre Dame. Again, if, unless stuff gets crazy, I get it. Okay, maybe Ohio State will lose to Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game or maybe whatever. If things are normal, I just think it's over. I mean, there's not uh, Notre, one loss Notre Dame that lost to Clemson that is undefeated and loses to Clemson in the ACC championship game. Nobody's getting past them. Not Wisconsin, not Texas A&M, not BYU, not Cincinnati, not anybody else. Now, if Notre Dame loses to Boston College next week, we'll come back on Monday Madness and we'll reevaluate. But as things stand now, it's over. And I said it last week. We said it last week. It's over. If Notre Dame beats Clemson, it's over. As, unless you have crazy stuff. And that's the other thing about the playoff discussion. You always talk about it like you assume. There's only two ways to talk about the playoff. Assume crazy stuff will happen or assume no crazy stuff will happen. And usually it's in the middle that there's a moderate amount of crazy stuff. So I get it. I don't know. But like right now, that's it. And the other thing is, it's going to be Ohio State Clemson in the semifinal. That like this has opened the path. At least the one thing for Ohio State is, you're no longer chasing undefeated Clemson to try to get, okay, we've got to get ahead of two, you know, get ahead of two teams to try to get to that number one spot because Clemson's out for the number one spot at the very least, I think. So, but I just don't know that it matters. Now Ohio state has to wait for Alabama to lose, but that would be my bet. Alabama one, Ohio state two, Clemson three, Notre Dame four. And that's a heck of a playoff. Alabama, Notre Dame and Ohio state Clemson. Woo. Who wouldn't sign up for that? Do you think there's any hesitation from the committee to put in, Two teams that could end up playing each other for a third time in the playoff? No, I think they would do what they had to do to make sure they didn't play in the semifinals for a third time, but otherwise, no. I think you're right. I think especially because those teams, if, if one of those teams is Notre Dame, I don't think they'll care. Because at the end of the day, that's what a lot of this is about, is about uh, how many eyeballs are watching that game. I think that would help their case. Well, yeah, and it depends. I mean, it's just, they earned it. I mean, it's one of those things. If you're going to sure. have this world... And again, I just, did you see anything? I mean, it didn't help. Weren't two Pac-12 games canceled, right, on opening yep. weekend? Two Pac-12 yep. games. And, Were, and and one of them was uh, Utah's game was canceled and Washington's game was canceled. So two teams that are, are plausibly like top 15, top 20 caliber teams maybe te already had games canceled. Pac-12 couldn't even get through one weekend. And Oregon won, but it just like, again, it's like it just takes a little even, I think the air is out of, the Pac 12's case anyway. But then you have this. It's like already on the opening weekend, you already have two games postponed. I just think there's almost no air left in any kind of Pac 12 case. And then we had talked about Oklahoma State a couple of weeks ago. It's like Oklahoma State won a barn burner against Kansas State 20 to 18. 
to keep alive. Uh, I mean, that are you it. serious? Are you kidding no, that me? Ain't it. Nobody wants that. So I think it's, I think it's locked until the next weird thing happens. What do you think the next weird thing is? Or what's the most, what's the most likely weird thing? Is it Indiana beating Ohio state? Is no. it Alabama having some kind of a toe stub? I think it's no. actually probably one of these ACC teams losing again. It's India. It's Notre Dame losing. It's Notre Dame not actually being quite as good as the other three, not exactly knowing how to handle success. And we can look at their schedule. I don't have it up in front of me right now, but I, I do know everyone's talking. I know about what's at Boston College next. It's Boston College next. And so it's like, are you, although here we were, you know, two years ago, I was telling everybody, don't worry about Notre Dame. Notre Dame's going to lose. And they managed to get through um, and, and make the playoff a couple years ago. So this is a I mean, team so- that, you know, has been here before. It's, it's Boston College on Saturday, then a week off, then at North Carolina, not a bad football team, not a great football team, but not a bad football team, then at home against Syracuse, which is a bad football team, and then at Wake Forest, which is now, I mean, I know they've been our punchline, but they're not bad. They're, I think, four and two right now. They're, they're not bad. They're as far as, as bottom of the top 25 teams go, they're all right. I'd take them over Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I, I liked your Coastal Carolina uh, shade on Twitter this week. Um, I'm surprised. Have you gone it? Well, we can say that for another Monday Madness. I'll call it now. North Carolina is going to beat Notre Dame. That just feels like North Carolina hasn't done exactly what they want to do this year. They have two losses. But, you know, Sam Howell hasn't been perfect. He's 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. But that's a guy who was a legit quarterback. And that just feels like the kind of game that's Thanksgiving um, week uh, that just feels like the kind of game that that Notre Dame goes in there and loses. That guy threw for 374 in a loss to Florida State. He threw for 443 in a loss to Virginia. He threw for 443 and four touchdowns in a loss to Virginia, not this week, but last week. They lost 44 to 41. You think that guy's going to be ready for Notre Dame? So that just feels like that. I, you know, Notre Dame, all credit to Notre Dame, but I, I don't know that they're a automatic get through undefeated. And then once they lose, then they still are, I think would be, they're still on track to be in the ACC championship game. But now if they're lost to Clemson, the ACC championship game is a second loss. Now the door is cracked open again. It's not a sure thing anymore. I mean, that North Carolina game, that's their championship game now, right? I mean, that's what that's, they're not playing for anything else this year, really. It's, it's to, it's to be spoiler in that game. So it's definitely one I would be wary of. And I mean, Boston college gave Clemson a half. Yeah, the ACC. I think Jeff Hafley knows what he's doing. We'll I see. mean, we talked about this when we had the debate, which I think I won pretty convincingly now as we look at this, right? I mean, I think we were talking about who has the easier road, Clemson or Ohio State. And we look at the way Penn State and Michigan have fallen apart again. And yes, Indiana and Maryland rose up. But there's a couple interesting teams, at least in the ACC, that, you know, Notre Dame got it done with help of the coronavirus. But North Carolina is not perfect. They're interesting. Boston College isn't perfect. They're interesting. There are some teams that might be able to make the rest of this ACC season something to watch. That'll do it for the Monday Madness edition of Buckeye Talk. No Tuesday Buckeye Talk, but come back on Wednesday. We will get going with coverage of Ohio State's coming game against Maryland. Thanks for joining us. For Doug Lee Maurice, I'm Nathan Barrett. That was Buckeye Talk. 